right, welcome back to another episode of Hammering Down. I'm your host, Keller Hodges, and I'm being joined by a very, very special guest. Uh, someone who first joined me, I guess, about a year and a half ago now uh, for the first time and has been fan favorite ever since. Uh, since the last time we've chatted, uh, dude is about dang near graduated. We are getting close to the end of that. Now, formerly with Tampa Bay, now with Sacramento Republic, does weekly shows all over the place, including the USL show, and recently has joined Backhield and also recently released a 70-page statistics page on all the teams in the USL championships. I am talking about the one, the only USL tactics, John Morsey. John, how you doing, man? Yeah, doing really well. Happy to be back. Always love coming on this. Dude, do you, okay, we talked about this before, but do you sleep? (laughs) (laughs) A lot less than I should. (laughs) So I want to, I want to talk about a few things before we get into this pre-match preview for Las Vegas Lights, which is an interesting team this year because they're good and also bad, and I don't know what they are. Um, okay, so, A, what is backhealed? Right, so maybe three, four months ago, I got reached out to by the people from Scuffed Pod, which is, and if we're being totally honest, I wasn't overly familiar, but it's one of the bigger kind of U.S. soccer MLS-centric shows out there. And specifically, it was Joe Lowry, who he writes for The Athletic. He does that show. Uh, He writes for MLS Soccer. And his approach here was basically across the board, no matter what you're following in the U.S. game, there's not enough coverage that's focused on the stats, focused on the tactics, i.e. the stuff that is pretty much my bread and butter. And so he wanted to kind of make this thing that would cover American soccer from those sorts of lenses. So we've got um, a lot of MLS coverage for sure, but uh, I'm the dedicated USL guy and we've got a dedicated women's soccer as well, Ariana. Um, So just trying to cover as much of the US game we can from kind of that lens. Right, so we first started seeing this being teased like I guess about a week ago now. And it kind of took off on a firestorm of like, what's going on here? What is this? This is a cool branding, backfield, good name. Um, simple. And, you know, obviously you've released a few things there now. The most recent one, I read every word of it and it hurt me very deeply, which was, you know, Pittsburgh is a chameleon team. They do whatever they do. They can form and change to do whatever they want. And of course, the example was against my Legion FC, um, which that sucked to read, but it was a good read. So check that out. Um, But another thing that you just released was your 70 page tactics deal. Now, you kind of had this before with your website where you would have the bare basics of the team, but you go into a little bit more depth and give a little bit more insight on offense and defense and so on and so forth how much of that was I guess new information that you were putting out there and how much of it was presenting it in new ways I think just in terms of my approach like obviously I'm trying to give the 101 level what is every team doing just in the most basic kind of sense and so a lot of it has really been drawn from just like looking back 
because I cover basically every game with uh, those recap threads I do. So just kind of looking back at that, looking at the basic uh, statistical information I have and trying to kind of combine that into a narrative of, okay, uh, if you're thinking about a Las Vegas who, in terms of what I'm highlighting tweet-wise, like you're going to see Danny Trejo doing a whole lot of stuff in transition. If you look at the numbers, they tend to be a very high tackle, high clearance team. So you get this kind of idea that they sit deep, they're active in their own half defensively, and then they're just funneling transition through Trejo. So then just spinning that into two slides on Vegas where I'm showing that lineup, I'm showing what they're doing formationally in attack and in defense to try to kind of sell that storyline. You know, let's go ahead and kind of move into this Las Vegas slides conversation a little bit. And you pointed out on your, on your uh, new 70 page article, I guess is, it's kind of an article. It's kind of a updating page, I guess. Um, you mentioned how narrow they play. And if you look at any of their average position charts, it is four-man back line in an arc and straight line. <laughs> um, it's Now, this may be me oversimplifying it or overthinking it, but this feels like it's definitely a uh, kind of a tactic to take advantage of their pitch, which is a baseball field that – much narrower than the average pitch but we've seen lights while they have impressive away wins they definitely seem better at home than they do away have we seen them try to expand when they go away or do they try to keep that same just like straight line attack they're definitely a team that prefers to kind of pack it in and be very compact no matter where they're playing um, I think there is certainly something to the idea that when you're playing in a venue that stretches out the game, they struggle a little bit more. Um, something about their system, even beyond that midfield, is that they don't push their fullbacks very high, which kind of worsens the whole width issue as well. I do think that the beauty of the approach is that they're kind of playing everyone on their terms. They're willing to let you play wide to put in crosses because they're confident that they can deal with them in the middle. And to that point, they've got a couple of players who rate really well in terms of like their aerial win rates and that kind of thing. So they are designed to sit back, sit narrow, absorb whatever pressure, and then build through this really kind of fluid trio that all sit in the very middle of the pitch, but they're swapping around constantly. You know, obviously we'll get to this Monterey Bay match, which is the most recent match for us to talk about um, for all transparency. If you're listening to this, we're recording this about a week before the matchup. So I, there might, I think Vegas has another match this Saturday. So we won't be talking about that match, but I think there's enough here that we can talk about general trends, but one of their biggest wins aside from the absolute adrenaline shot that was the El Paso match which I have watched so many times since because it was dumb if you want to spend your time just wasting about 50 minutes of your life second half of El Paso versus Las Vegas lights is just it's incredible <laughs> but honestly the more impressive of those wins that they've gotten was their win against Pittsburgh 
and might be one of the most boring matches I've ever watched, <laughs> but it was also really interesting because they got away from the tactic that we talked about. They, for Vegas standards, they really expanded everything. It looks like they really decide to play their whip and it wasn't as attacking as they wanted. It was not as, you know, creating chances as much as they have been, but they got enough and they did more than what we've seen a lot of teams do against Pittsburgh. Yeah. The thing in that match that made them so successful was how they used their wingers at the, they play this four through three shape, right? With that narrow central midfield, the hinge tactically for them a lot of the time is what you're getting out of Trejo on the left, Molina on the right, those sorts of guys. A lot of the time you'll see those two kind of drop down into a midfield line. And if they're defending deep, it'll almost be like this four, five, one kind of shape, very flat five some in the middle against Pittsburgh. Those two, those two wide players, were very aggressive getting up and pressing against Pittsburgh's back three. So suddenly you've got three forwards pressing against three center backs. Pittsburgh is a team that likes to possess. They like to drive play through those center backs. So suddenly if one of those players is caught up field, you've got three players pressing two river hounds, you're getting turnovers. And Las Vegas kind of shithoused their way into getting a goal off of that and then was able to just do their thing sitting in. And the, it was that wing play and the variation you got off of that that was really the change of tactic that you spoke to. I mean, it was a very early goal in that one with Trejo, which we don't know if he's going to be available for the for this Legion match. He went out like 25th minute very early on um, in their most recent match against Monterey Bay. Um, but if he's around, I mean, Trejo was one of the guys, I think he might have been the first guy that you posted about the best young players in the USL. And he has lived up to that billing and even more. He has been incredible to watch. But let's, uh, I mean, let's assume that he's there. Let's assume that he's playing. What should Legion fans expect from Danny Trejo? So, um, in terms of that, I've talked a bit about the style where they're going to sit deep and then when they get those clearances, when they stop the opponent, it's those two wing players who are dropping down around to the halfway line or so, and then they're just breaking. So if you're Vegas, you're going to play a long ball into the channel and try to let Trejo get onto it. You're going to dump it into his feet and just let him go to work on the dribble because he's so talented at that. So if you're the Legion, you've got Danny Trejo on the left side. But that's Birmingham's right, where Johnny Dean is known to just be bombing all the way up the pitch. So I think a lot, if Trejo is healthy and playing here, a lot of how this game is going to turn out in terms of that Birmingham defense is how disciplined uh, Johnny Dean looks on that side. Yeah, and it's it's kind of funny, right? Very beginning of the year, I I was calling out Johnny pretty hard for poor defense and it was just the fact that he was going up so far forward that he was having to sprint back and it wasn't that he wasn't helping on defense he was he was doing his absolute darndest right but the thing is is like in the quick moment he chooses to man mark somebody and he chooses the wrong person or he chooses to go to ground and he pulls himself out of position something that 
maybe if he did not go as far forward, he would have had a little bit more time to think about it and then make the correct decision. We've seen recently, especially this Miami FC match that we saw very, very recently, I think that might be Johnny's best game that he's played with the three Sparks. He may not have gotten the goal. He may not have gotten the assist, but in chances created and his defense was incredible. And maybe that's where I get to. That was his best defensive match that he's ever played with Legion. It was incredible to watch the way he got back, the way he, the way he was stopping the attack, the way he was able to intercept balls. It was incredible, but you know, all respect to Miami, they are uber talented. They, I don't think they've still played a player quite like a Danny Trejo. And they've played a lot of great players, but not like that. He's really explosive. I do think that if you think about some of the struggles that Dean has had, for me, they've particularly come in the box where he just will lose a mark be a little bit inattentive, track the wrong guy. Whereas that's a little bit less of Las Vegas's style. They're the most dangerous when they're able to get you out on the counter. So I think that does bode well. But at the same time, say Vegas does kind of get into those uh, situations where they're really holding possession in the final third. You've got Cal Jennings to worry about who, I mean, yeah, you know him as a Birmingham fan, but uh, he's as dangerous and as smart a mover as pretty much any forward in the USL. And it's wild that after all this time, he's somehow with Las Vegas Lights. I've I've said this before, and this is not just banter between myself and maybe a Memphis fan, right? There's been a lot of times that Memphis has screwed the pooch. Their ownership has done something to screw over the team in some way. Granted, this was at the time. This is since been broken, I do believe. But, I mean, they let Cal Jennings go, who was their entire offense, everything. Their, what year was that? Was that year two for them? Their entire offense, everything. He was there for eight matches and became their leading goal scorer. Dude was incredible. Ended his time there with a hat trick against Legion. I still think about that match way too often. They let him walk for free. Indy 11 pick him up. And within a month, they sell him to LAFC for the highest transfer fee between USL to MLS. Could you imagine if Memphis held on to him and then sold him on? how much different people maybe would look at that front office. They missed out on so much money. And it's not, I find it so hard to believe that nobody was calling about him before that. And they just said, nah, y'all can have him." Ridiculous. And what a coup for Indy. No kidding. One month. They didn't even meet the guy yet. (laughs) Was that the same year that they sold Pache as well? You betcha. Yeah, I mean, that was a profitable summer for them. And then they turned around, they got Nick Moon for a transfer fee, they got Connor Antley in, like, it was a good bit of business. And obviously, those players have now moved on to maybe stronger sides, but I mean, speaks to the viability of the League One pipeline, I guess. Very true. But for people, because there's a lot of people who listen to this who did not watch that match, you know, there are new Legion fans coming around, which, hey, that's awesome i love that this thing is growing right 
if they don't know anything about Cal Jennings, they've heard the lore of the the infamous hat trick, right? What should they know about Cal Jennings? And I've said before, he might be one of the most underrated, if not the most underrated striker in the league. So I think there are really two key aspects to his game, especially in terms of what he's done this season. You traditionally out of him have always seen that kind of poacher's instinct in the box where he has this sixth sense for finding space, locating rebounds, just being in the perfect location to hammer home whatever chance is coming his way. I think as you've seen him slide into this counter-attacking based team, he has shown himself to be really dangerous in those scenarios where he'll be that furthest forward player. And when his team breaks, he's making runs that completely confuse the defense that force you to track him. But at the same time, they're opening gaps for Trejo to run into. He's such an intelligent player in that context. Alternatively, he's someone who's really shown some capability as a holdup threat where you can knock it long into his feet. He's physical enough to uh, fend off any defender that's coming his way. And then he'll knock it on to a Trejo. He's someone that can even drop deep and uh, launch those counterattacks on his own. He's in the top, I think, 10 to 15% for long passes amongst forwards this season. So he's really kind of expanded what was an excellent, excellent strikerly game to be a little bit more complete. So there's one more player that I really want to, you know, point out before, you know, we kind of get into, I guess, a little bit more of the meat and potatoes of like what we, how this matchup we think will actually play out, right? And it's probably a guy that statistics hate him, but you watch him and he just has a different factor, an absolute Ed Hauser. Um, will bowl through you, will absolutely destroy you. Um, FC Cincinnati fans had shirts that said, you know, Deckel smash, Deckel K9. He is their center back number 42. He does not care. He will kill a man. And that's just what he does. He will bolt through somebody. He will get physical. And sometimes he gets carded for it. Other times, U.S. or, you know, pro refs are going to pro ref and let it go. You know, someone like a K-9, do the stats like him? Because I feel like they don't. But he's an incredible center back. They do because uh... – Vegas really employs him in a way that fits where he's at right now. He's a little bit old. He's a little bit slow. They're sitting in a deep line absorbing pressure. So this season, he's 96th percentile for aerial wins and defensive actions, 90th in terms of his tackle win rate. So he's not only doing a lot of stuff, he's doing it efficiently. He leads the seeming clearances by a mile. He's kind of the anchor of everything at the back. Um, he's a vocal presence who organizes things. But he's been really effective for this team. He's also a good dude. I want to just point that yeah. out there. He is just a good human being. But, I mean, that I mean, obviously, Legion have had real issues with, like, scoring the ball. Um, that would be really fun to see. That would be great. But, I mean, he kept Dane Kelly in his back pocket. And there are not many people who can or will ever say that. <laughs> I mean, he completely, you know, just shut him down. And it makes me a little bit worried 
for a team who, you know, has shown that our striker up tops, it has not wanted to shoot. You know, I think that we could see, you know, our pace be able to call him out. You know, maybe get a guy like Enzo. Maybe get a guy, you know, Eddie Horvat's fast. One is a little bit more of a, a lumbering big body, but he's also quick. I mean, is that kind of the secret to beating the lights here? Is just kind of outpacing their back line because I mean they are a little bit slow on the jump. No, I def I definitely think that's viable. Um, I think one route that Colorado Springs really effectively used was possessing the ball a lot in their third, which pretty much everyone does against Vegas, but just pinning the back, forcing them to really sit deeper and deeper in the box, and then getting these late arriving runs from the central midfield, which um, when I talked about what was kind of ailing Birmingham earlier in the season in an article, they're one of the highest uh, teams in the league in terms of the share of their shots that come from those deeper lying midfielders. So maybe this is a game where you see Enzo coming a little bit deeper and then coming up later on in these moves once the team is settled in possession to get something from range. Maybe it's a game where a CDU just hits a banger from 30 yards out because Vegas is sitting so deep at that point and he's got the space to do so. I think between that, between the pace, you've got a viable route to break this side down. At the same time, what you spoke to about Agadelo not shooting, some of the issues this team has had in terms of just getting those looks on goal really could come to bite. Yeah, um, and which has been the really big issue. And I've yelled and I've screamed and I have been beyond frustrated um, and I don't think that's a secret um, about the people in up top, people in the middle, just not taking their shots. I mean, you talked about Anderson having those 30 yard, you know, goes for goal in years past. Anderson will pull up from about 40 yards and take a shot and the ball would go about 40 yards over the bar. He is slowly honing it in. And I think sometime this year, we are going to get an absolute banger from Anderson Asiadu, and I, it's going to be incredible. Don't get me wrong. The fact that he won a back post header to win a, to win a match despite being five foot six was incredible. And I don't know if any goal could outdo that because how did Hartford let a man five foot six win a back post header? I don't know. <laughs> but it was awesome to see. But the big thing that I've been seeing through trends of Vegas, right? Everybody attacks their wing or their back, you know, fullbacks, right? Everybody has been going to wide areas and that's Legion's game. They exploit the wide areas. Recently in our most successful run of matches, you see that our midfield, our attacking midfield is very narrow and then once they get to the box, they lay the ball off to a Ryan James or a Johnny Dean. And then they try to work the ball back inside, really having forcing the other team's fullbacks to either compress or allow them into the middle. Right. So they're forcing defenses to make these decisions. I mean, we've seen it work for other teams to attack their fullbacks. We've also seen it bite other teams what's been the difference? Is it just quality of players, Vegas not on their game? Like, why is it sometimes working? Why is it sometimes not? 
they, when they try to defend against those wide sorts of situations, are very reliant on their central midfielder shifting out or those high wingers getting back and supporting against those kinds of moves. So if there's a disconnect between those players on, okay, this is my responsibility in this scenario versus uh, vice versa in a different kind of uh, situation, suddenly you're just conceding that space and letting things happen. You At that point, you're losing the narrowness of the back line because they have to be the ones to adjust. And it's this really uh, vicious cycle of, okay, everyone is drawn out of shape as a result of that. And there's not really a rhyme or reason to when and where it happens. I do think that uh, if there's one knock that you can have against Trejo, it's that some of his defensive tracking in that kind of situation has been poor. But I think that's somewhere where Birmingham really could uh, take advantage of this team. I want to get to, I mean, I've said this earlier, before we like talk about the meat and potatoes, how we think this match is going to go, what's the best way for Legion to win, what's the best way for Las Vegas to win here. There's one other match I want to talk about, and this is one that you're going to know a lot about, and it was the Sacramento Republic match, right? And this, I'm definitely stealing this, and I've heard this before, but I'm definitely stealing this from Ryan, who's on the USL show. I mean, Las Vegas Lights absolutely just F him the crap out of out of Sacramento. I mean, they got their goal at the end of the or Sacramento got their goal at the end of the first half, and basically they just ended up like you said, just bringing everybody back. Hey, we're going to defend basically the halfway line. And we saw, you know, some of their players like Danny Trejo was basically just defending the the halfway line. And that's just what they did. They sat back and absorbed. I, what went right for Las Vegas and how hard done did the Sacramento Republic feel about that? Sacramento's kind of had this dynamic all season long where they're going to outshoot you a lot of the time. They're going to generate the lion's share of chances. And there's almost this kind of Legion-esque tendency where they just can't quite get it over the line. They're like statistically possession-wise doing so well. Um, In that game, it was interesting because, and uniquely, Vegas almost sat in this kind of back three uh, situation in terms of their shape. Mm-hmm. So like it just furthered the fact that they were going to be the uber defensive kind of team here. Um, they were really willing to let Sacramento play these long switches out of the midfield because they knew that they weren't going to trouble them in the heart of the pitch where it mattered. It was really kind of like the consummate result for this Las Vegas Lights team. And Sacramento tried some things of pushing their wingbacks higher to draw uh, the play out in terms of kind of what we just talked about with Birmingham and it did nothing. So maybe that's the look that Las Vegas goes where they kind of, Alex Lara has been uh, a player who switched between the central midfield and central defense. Maybe he sits in that holding midfield role and drops into the back three just to let them kind of copy that approach. But yeah, I mean, just consummate Vegas performance there. Very similar to what we saw, I guess, against Battery, where uh, Mikey Lopez essentially played center back. He was a holding, he was a holding midfielder and essentially just played that that deep holding midfielder, let Anderson go up and do the dang thing, which was a really good look, which infuriates me even more while we moved away from it. 
and I don't get it. I don't get it. We finally found something that looked like it was working. We said, nah, don't want to do that anymore. I hate it. It made no sense. I mean, looking at this shop map, by the way, for Sacramento, the entire box is like almost colored in. It is, it's more impressive that they didn't win this match than anything else. And it's not like they were just taking crap chances. They were taking good chances. It was just either off target or somehow being saved. It, that was ridiculous. That was a d disgusting match. <laughs> it was the kind of thing, though, where you can look at the shot map and it's very tilted towards one team. But those shots are coming against a box that's packed with eight Las Vegas Lights players where it's like, yes, you're getting the good looks, but it's almost a bit misleading. Fair enough. Fair enough. So let's go ahead and jump into this match. I mean, we've talked about personnel to look at. We've talked about all those things. If let's go off the basis that Legion rolls out the same team that we did against Pittsburgh the same exact one, same formation where it was a 4-4-1-1, but it was really a 4-4-2. Do you, how do you think that would end up working out for Legion against this team? Uh, it was obviously Pittsburgh. We talked about this. And if you want to know about more about Pittsburgh, check out John's article on backfield, but they, we saw one sitting back pretty deep, essentially kind of becoming the hold-up man to let Enzo try to do his thing, kind of, which is what we've been seeing a lot out of one all year long. But is that going to be something that works against Las Vegas, especially when you're saying they're sitting so far back? How much is holding the ball up going to do? What are they going to expect? They already have all their men back. Is the best plan attack is just bombard almost like blitzkrieg their back line or what i think that might not be bad um <laughs> i don't know what the level of patience is in terms of just kind of throwing Juan out there until he comes good yeah it's i'm sure it's thin but that he just feels like he's the best option in terms of someone who's going to demand attention from the defense if only because he's Juan Agadello and I think that would open things up for this team in terms of maybe those late runs maybe of drawing Vegas just a bit narrow enough that you can get across in and maybe just end up with some sort of sloppy goal the thing of this is if Birmingham can go up one nothing get some sort of odd counter attack you're drawing Vegas out and this is a much different looking team that's just not as effective because they can't execute that game plan. And we've rarely seen that happen because they do play that kind of negative brand of soccer. So I think that could be something viable, but I, I don't know. There's something about this Birmingham team where I just keep coming back to the fact that I think they're going to be a juggernaut at some point. And that's almost informing how I think about this game. Yeah. The thing is, is that, Legion have the talent. They have shown glimpses of it, right? And this is not one of – it's almost an, it's the same way of El Paso, right, where they showed the talent, they showed the potential, and it just took a little while for them to get going. I mean, our friend Phil kept telling us, hey, hold the faith, hold the faith. It's going to come around. It's going to come around. This sucks, but hold on. 
we've seen the glimpses against a bad battery team, right? But that is still one of the more dominating wins that I've seen Legion have in recent history. The XG and all this different kind of stuff is going to tell you that it was a close match, but if you watched it, it really wasn't. Battery completely outmatched. Legion feels so hard done by just a point against Miami. Again, the XG tells you that Miami should have won this match, but the entire second half, Miami was on their back foot. I mean, the very end of the match, you see their entire team collapse to the floor. And I can't remember the last time I've seen the, uh, what is this? Uh, Paco, Paco Craig. I can't remember the last time I've seen him leave a match early. He was cramping up and in so much just pain from running and having to defend the entire match. He had to leave. I can't remember the last time I've seen him do that. Legion had them on the back foot, and you can call out rough shenanigans, whatever. We didn't take our chances when we had them. I, this just feels like another match that Legion should win and is going to get bogged down into the midfield and they're not going to be able to move forward. But this may be just me being a pessimist, and so I could be happily surprised later. <laughs> and yeah, I think there's something to that. I just think that some of the ingredients this Legion team has are going to feed into a good result here. Did, is this game in Birmingham? I can't quite remember. I think that helps because you've got a, a cross-country trip for this Vegas side. And I just like what this Birmingham team does in terms of how Vegas tends to be weak. The, and I brought this up at the beginning of the show, and this is kind of the reason I talked about, especially their shape of how straightforward it is, right? I'm okay. 90% sure that protective stadium has the widest field dimensions that are allowed. It is mammoth. It is massively big. And I feel like that could work out into Legion's favor because if they want to play that narrow that's great but they are allowing almost 30 yards of space on both sides so maybe that's where legion can win this match is just by exploiting their shape yeah i think it, yeah it's what we've been speaking to where i think there's just this kind of stew of ingredients that's gonna make it hard for vegas to execute on what they do best so let's let's get into if Legion were to win this match, Legion want to come out with all three points and not just scrape by. Like they are going to walk out and we are going to say, wow, this Legion team just turned a corner. What needs to happen? They need to engage their team on counterattack when Vegas is on the move, doing their thing offensively because those chances are few and far between. So if you can get some runners in behind in those scenarios, maybe nab an early goal completely changes the face of things. In less optimistic scenario where Las Vegas is playing disciplined, if you're able to stretch out the pitch in Birmingham and make sure that that team can't be narrow, if you're getting your fullbacks involved, then suddenly you're pinning that side deeper and deeper and you're able to get those late central midfield runs suddenly you've got a couple sources of offense. It could come from across from one of the wingbacks. It could come from one of the central midfield shots. 
Maybe you're working it into the feet of Enzo or Juan Agadello in the striker position, but you're against a team that's suddenly stretched and they've got the room to shoot. So if you're able to really do those things effectively, I think you're able to break this side down. So and this is kind of something that I've talked about before. Legion have built Tom Tommy Stone has built this uh, team uh, to be very indoor esque. Um, I wish I could have talked about this with Alan the other night when he was talking about the San Diego Sockers, which elite name, by the way, um, fantastic name. Um, but basically, the, uh, Tommy Stone got his start in professional soccer doing indoor. He was an indoor player before he got drafted to go into MLS. And I think when you watch this Legion side, you see that they – they are very – they play a little bit more narrow than they used to. They exploit wide areas, but when they get into wide areas, they don't cross the ball often in the air. They like to keep the ball on the ground, very quick one-two passes, anything they can do to, to keep it short and simple. You don't see the long ball that often. Everything is very short and calculated very fast. You mentioned it, like a Deckel K-9 is, you know, elite in the air, Right. Is maybe this indoor style of keep the ball on the floor, let's work it fast. Is that something that you can take away that anchor essentially? Because his strength is being able to sit back and win the ball in the air and get it out. Playing it on the floor and playing it fast is could that end up being the major strength and like kind of uh, ace in the sleeve, if you will? I think so. And I think referring back to that Colorado Springs game, that's what drew that defense so deep is the fact that you had Haji Berry, Elvis and Mo, Michigalina, who are as technical as anybody out there doing their thing, playing those one-twos, looking insane on the dribble. I would argue that in terms of just pure technical skill, the ability to keep the ball uh, controlled close to your feet, play those one-twos, Birmingham is about as close to Colorado Springs as you can get just on like that indoor soccer talent perspective. So I think, yeah, you're certainly making a really good point here. On the other hand, we've seen Las Vegas go out and get results. We've seen them do the dang thing. We've seen them look incredible at times. For Las Vegas to come out with the win, and say, hey, we're the lights. We know we've been a laughing stock, but we're here. We are, you know, Western Conference contenders. We just blew out the Legion. What has to happen for them? Just play your game plan. You rely on the fact that even if it is that wide pitch, even if Birmingham is getting up and down the wings, that if you sit in deep enough, hold firm for long enough, you're going to be able to draw that team too far up and break through Trejo, break through Molina, get Cal Jennings involved and nab a goal. And that changes the face of things because that encourages the opponent to just keep pushing higher. And suddenly you're getting more and more counters if you're Las Vegas. So just, I, you got to trust the process really is kind of their thing because they don't have a plan B. Now, obviously any given day, right? Any given day, any team could be any team. How much would Danny Trejo not being available reduce Las Vegas chances to win? I don't want to say it would completely shatter them, 
but if you looked at how they performed before and after the injury uh, in their game against Los Angeles, it was a really big deal. They just lacked that dynamism to be able to get out on the break. If you're saying, and that's not necessarily what I believe, that it's a toss-up with Trejo in the game, you're looking at like at least a halving of the odds that they get a good result without him. And that might even be generous. He's just such a dynamic presence. Yeah, that's this is one of those matches that worries me because Vegas is better than they have been in years past. But this is still a must win, you know, and we have seen in years past that in those must win matches, the big matches, we kind of bottle it. <laughs> And that's why this one is so scary to me because it's not even just a must-win match against a bottom feeder. This is a team that has improved a lot. Um, We've kind of seen a lot of these teams improve a lot, to be honest. I mean, uh, whenever we did the USL show forms where we had people predict all these different things, I mean, the bottom three teams we saw were in this order, Vegas, Loudon, Hartford, granted, there's, I mean, Loudon and Hartford are still teetering towards the bottom, but they've shown improvement from last year. And while the bad is bad in the championship right now, I think we're still seeing a little bit more parody than maybe we're used to seeing. No, I, th- I certainly think that's true. And Las Vegas has dipped in form a little bit recently, but it's what you're saying where this is USL in 2022 and anybody will beat anybody. Except no one's going to beat Louisville City. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. (laughs) I was talking to Benton a while back. I think this Louisville City team is the closest we're going to see to an invincible team. There's not a weakness anywhere. Oh, their biggest weakness is... You know, Cameron Lancaster is not playing great. Wilson Harris does not care. <laughs> He's insane, by the way. He's stupid, isn't he? I Mushigalusa and Will, uh, Wilson Mushigalusa Harris. doesn't even start. Like, they, <laughs> the thing that they did in terms of adding depth in the offseason has gone under the radar, but it's made a world of difference for them. Do they have the biggest bench? And or the biggest squad in the USL because they're well over 30 players, aren't they? Not including who they've now loaned out. Something like it. And I mean, they do have a very much have this kind of midfield strike force that they prefer, but you can switch out any of the pieces at a given time and they're like not even hurt by it. Just, just insane. Just absolutely insane. Uh, they're stupid. And on the other hand, I mean, if you look at the Western Conference, your Sacramento Republic, I mean, they've been they've been teetering. But as I've been watching more and more, I've been seeing what you've been saying about how it's there. It's all there. They can make a run and they have that feel of an Orange County where get them in the playoffs and they're feeling themselves. Good freaking luck. Yeah. It just feels like, especially in the West, there's like this very clear top six-ish or so, and you can probably split tiers further within that, but they just feel like a team that's solid enough that I at least am not questioning whether they're going to be in the playoffs. 
meanwhile, the East, I mean, it's loose city and everybody else is just battling for second. I mean, Pittsburgh is pretty firmly second, but yeah. even then they've shown weaknesses. It This USL season, man, I'm having so much fun watching it and covering it because it's been incredible to watch. The players are awesome this year. I don't know, man. This is this has been fun. I mean, Indy shocked me a little bit. I fully wrote them off, and then I say I fully wrote them off. I had them finishing ninth uh, preseason, which is still kind of bubble. They're like on that bubble of hopping in anyway. But I don't know. This is it's just great. <laughs> yeah, so much fun this year. So much parody. So I wanted to just before we we wrap it up. And this is can be another USL show topic, I suppose. But who's been kind of flying under the radar this year for you? I know I've asked you this before, and you did an article on it. But who's been kind of your your sneaky good that people aren't really talking about a lot that you really want to just highlight? It can be Vegas, Birmingham, anybody. Yeah, within this Vegas team, um, I just actually did a little bit of a write up on him, uh, very short. Uh, in my recent power rankings, their right back, Morton Borschel, um, he came out of uh, college, and I think it like wasn't even Division II, but he was very decorated, um, like player of the year in whatever alphabet soup of an acronym of a league he played in. And week one or week two, it, basically his debut as a professional, uh, he was tasked with man marking Santi Moar against Phoenix and the dude just shut him down. Like this is some random kid that they essentially pulled off the street here and he just did the thing. He is never gonna give you a ton attacking wise, but he's almost like the Dakau Kanan of right backs in that he's just rock solid. He's someone who's really stood out for me. Um, trying to think who else in terms of across the league, quickly becoming one of my favorite players to watch is uh, Dylan Borkjak of uh, uh, RGV. He's sort of a striker attacking mid, really dynamic, like super clever and tricky on the dribble. Uh, RGV is a team that barely scores goals, but whenever they do, it's because he's involved doing something fancy with the ball at his feet. Uh, He's been a standout for me for sure. Trying to think one more, maybe. Maybe you got someone on this. Um, I mean, everybody, everybody who follows the USL show knows I'm gonna drop a Nick Moon in there. That's sure. that one's a given. Um I don't know. I've I've really, and this is not an underrated player, but I feel like it's gone under the radar for a lot of people. And this is someone that Legion fans know a lot about. Bolu Akinyode does not get enough love. He is incredible and just does not get mentioned in many conversations, and he absolutely should. Yeah, I mean, he's unreal. The fact that Miami has him and Speedy Williams as their midfield, crazy. It keeps them afloat, honestly, because they're subtly not all that organized defensively at times. Yeah, it was funny because this last Miami match, we, I saw really good things. I mean, the first half, their back three looked really, really good. Benefemu was, you know, really doing a really good job possessing the ball. 
his positioning since I saw him in Birmingham last year has improved so much. His biggest issue when he was in Birmingham was his positioning. He could, he was physical. He could get the ball out and his passing was fine, but he was always just a foot out position when that wasn't the case this, this time around. And he's improved a lot, but Bolu is just, and he fixes any hole that's back there. Oh, you want to go forward a little bit? Oh, Bolu is like seven foot 13. That's fine. He can do whatever he wants. Oh, we want to have another center back back there. Great. Bolu can do that. It he's incredible. And Speedy Williams is another player that since leaving Louisville, I think a lot of people forgot about and they should stop doing that. (laughs) Yeah. Like he's completely unreal. And in many of the same ways that Bolu is like, they've got a lot of similarities as players and it makes them absolutely perfect as a pair somehow. It's incredible. And obviously this is going to be uh, something that maybe won't shock Legion fans or maybe it will. Who's been kind of your, your sneaky player for this Legion side. I kind of want to know what you've been seeing as a neutral so coming into the season, seeing some of the early lineups, my thought every single time was, why are we getting so much Prosper Kasim versus the other attacking players that this team has? And then every single week that I see him play, I'm like, holy cow, he's probably the best attacker this team has on a consistent basis. I think what he's done in terms of the positions he takes up in terms of the clever kind of passing that he brings to the table the way he interchanges and interconnects with teammates I've been completely blown away and that's not to say that I thought he was bad I just really rated a lot of the other talent this team had but for me he's pretty much undroppable at this point that was the biggest thing that I've talked about about the growth of Prosper and I talked to him after one of the matches of like you know, from year one to year four now with the Legion, what's changed? Why have you changed? You're so much more efficient now. You're so much better now. And he's like, nothing's really changed. You know, I've just kind of, I've kind of grown up. I'm seeing different things now. I've matured in game sense. And the one thing that I've seen is something that you pointed out was year one and year two prosper was oh, I have a shot, it may, you know, the XG might not even register, but I'm having a go by God. And now we've seen Prosper the provider. And now teams are having to respect the pass as well as the shot, which in years past didn't happen. Defenders knew Prosper gets the ball, closed down on him, he's going to shoot. Now they're having to feel, they're having to fill shooting lanes. They're having to fill passing lanes. They're having to defend multiple things with him, which has just opened up his game. And I don't know if that's just him growing up and realizing that assist, you know, count is for just as many goals as a goal does. Or if it's something that Coach Sone and Kano and all of them have worked on him with, I'm not sure. But he has become a more holistic attacker as opposed to just a striker. And it has been incredible to watch. So just looking at the numbers on him, he's top fifth in terms of XG and XA, um, about top five percentile in terms of uh, goals above replacement. What's sticking out to me, and I think what 
fleshes out what we're saying about how much more patient he is. Uh, he's in basically the bottom 10, 15% for the forward pass share. So he's not looking to play those killer balls all the time. But if you look at his key passes per forward pass, so what percent of those more adventurous balls are like meeting a player and turning into something good, he's in the 80th percentile. So basically, he's knowing exactly when he needs to pick his spot, which I think just speaks to why he's been so impressive to me. For sure. I mean, when it comes to Legion players, um, obviously, we can talk about Anderson all day. Um, I love that guy so much. Uh, Prosper's grown up a lot. I think Legion right now have it all figured out except for this attacking bit, which you pointed out at the preseason as well. It's like, their back line's going to be good. They're not as elite as they were last year, but you can't be you can't be last year every year. And it's just not consistent, not in this league anyway. There's always a new cycle of attackers coming in or people growing up like a prosper, right? But the midfield has been good. And so now it's like, what do we do for this attacking side? Obviously, I want Juan to shoot more. I'm not shy about the fact that I love everything I've seen out of Eddie Horvath. He hasn't shown much. I get that. But everything that I've heard about him behind the scenes at training, I mean, Tommy Stone told me that Eddie Horvath has one of the purest strikes that you're ever going to see. And that gets me excited. The one thing that we've seen, especially since he hasn't had game time, is that his touch has been a little bit heavy. He has a little bit of a heavy touch and loses possession that way. But I've also heard and I've seen that he has it. This isn't a situation of he just has a heavy foot and it's just going to launch a ball. He can control the ball. He can do that. So I'd be really interested to see what an Eddie Horvat and a Juan Agudelo lineup would do. Obviously, that means somebody would have to be dropped from elsewhere. My my ideas on it would probably be um, an Enzo slash Marlon, which it'd be tough to drop Enzo, but it'd also be tough to drop Marlon, who I'm going to throw it out there. I hate how much hate he's getting. He is incredible to watch. Um, he doesn't have the goals. He's missed some sitters. I get that. But you are going to be hard-pressed to find someone who plays as sexy as he does. Just watching the ball on his feet – Good God. <laughs> Skill for days. It's incredible. I can I can just gush about this team all day long because in the end, as frustrated as I am, I still love this team. They are incredible to watch and just incredible people. But I'm not going to have you just listen to me do that forever. <laughs> so as we're wrapping up, where a where can people consume all your stuff? Twitter. What shows can they catch you on later and other articles? And maybe do we have any spoilers on what might be releasing soon? Yeah. So, boy, it's a laundry list at this point, huh? Um, yeah. <laughs> USL show is obviously the best place on a week to week basis that nine o'clock on Tuesday, regularly on the short show, recapping things um, and doing the tactic show, of course, with that every week, early in the week. Um, writing for Back Healed, I have uh, the Monday kind of weekly roundup where I'll be hitting on a USL theme and then a Wednesday Q&A. So go submit questions for that also if you've got anything. 
Uh, besides that, on my own, I'll be doing my Sunday power rankings every single week, basically, um, and putting out the stray article every now and again. Just dropped the 70-page-ish guide to uh, pretty much every team's basic tactical approach. Um, every week I'm on the Fan Experience pod, which is a Phoenix Rising fan show, uh, just doing like a quick five, 10-minute roundup on some of the things that caught my eye in the week of USL action. So that's pretty much all I've got going right now. Nothing big on the horizon, but we'll see what gives. I tend to be ceaseless in terms of coming up with new gigantic things to do. So it's pretty much it as you list an entire dissertation worth of things. <laughs> You're right. I'll take up half your runtime. <laughs> Jeez, man. I mean, yeah, check out all John's stuff um, at uh, USL Tactics. Um, yeah. I can never remember if it's the, I, I, which will make no sense, actually. I don't know why I keep thinking that. Like but, the USL show, the USL tactics. Yeah, I guess maybe. You feel cocky. The, that's me. I am the USL tactics. I'm the Miami FC of <laughs> content creators. I love I love everything about how the has been a part of their trademark. I love it so much. It's so ridiculous. And I love every second of it. Anyway, thank you so much for coming on, John. Consume all the content. Um, a lot of fun stuff coming out. And as we're getting into the real meat of this season, uh, there's going to be a, so much fun stuff planned. So thank you so much for coming on, man. And to everybody listening, thank you so, so much for sticking it out for another hour episode. And uh, until next time, guys, keep hammering on.